0: Dr. Vivian Smith-Del Toro. Welcome to the Legacy Interview Series from Women's Centers International, WCI. This is the fifth and final episode of our first season. I'm here today with Susan burgess Lent, founder and executive director of WCI, and we have a very special guest, Daria Sievers. Daria is a licensed clinical and forensic social worker with a private- practice in Marin County, California. She provides psychotherapy for adults. She also delivers training to mental health and legal professionals and community organizations. Her expertise includes the assessment and treatment of trauma and forensic mental health evaluations for the courts. Today, we're talking about the meaning and value of trauma-informed therapy for women especially those served by WCI. And we're gonna start today with Susan. Tell us why counseling has become an important service of women's centers.
1: The women that we serve at uh, women's centers generally come from environments where poverty and violence are endemic. And these two factors really tend to knock out uh, self-esteem, a clear sense of identity, and it really prevents them from doing the work of changing their lives. They're carrying too heavy a burden. The role of counseling at the women's centers is to help women realize that, first of all, they're not alone. Second of all, that the problems that they experience occur for a lot of women, And that we can offer some help in changing the way they relate in their relationships at work and uh, within their families to help them chart a new direction for their lives. Mental health is really a foundational program and a primary focus of women's centers because without that, we can't make progress in all the other areas.
0: Totally agree, and mental health as a part of overall wellness is extremely important. Daria, tell us about your work and why trauma is a focus. Thank you for having me. My
2: personal journey with trauma uh, began when um, my daughter at uh, age 14 was being injected with meth by my brother who was 44 at the time and 300 pounds. He started injecting her with meth every day and uh, molesting her and sharing her with his buddies. That was where my journey with trauma really began uh, big time. My daughter later took her own life. That launched me into working with trauma survivors I soon after became involved with working with immigrants and refugees who were seeking asylum and um, was struck at the severe violence that they were fleeing in other countries. So that's where my work began in trauma.
0: You know, I, I admire your, the depth of your commitment and it is women like you, women like Susan, who we need so desperately to help domestic violence, to help with very, very tragic situations. So Susan, I know that you have experienced uh, quite a bit of trauma uh, in working with some of the women. Can you tell me a little bit more about what kind of trauma has happened? Well, it's a
1: a large range of psychological and physical trauma, losses that result from violence of family members, uh, relatives, uh, grievous losses. I knew one woman who seemed to come in every couple weeks and had reported that she lost another member of her extended family to some kind of violence. There also are childhood abuses that have been long buried but have been a defining factor of these women's lives that Mm -hmm. they stuff away until somebody lets them know, a counselor, that you don't have to sit on this. You can talk about it. It doesn't have to define who you are now, unless you let it. And of course it's never that simple, but the idea being that once you uncover some of these old abuses that happen in families that happen in foster care you begin to feel the the burden lift a bit and we're also talking about rape the most underreported major crime in the world women don't report because they feel ashamed but it is a defining factor in many lives and for many women, the response is, uh, you know, self-medication with alcohol, drugs, anything to not feel the violation that occurred. The magnitude of the experience matters, but rape in any form changes everything. Yeah. And then we have domestic violence. There are many conflicting reports about what happened with domestic violence during the pandemic. Most people agree that it certainly increased because people were homebound, being together in the home and having other problems like loss of jobs, illness, losing their home, they didn't have money for food, um, domestic violence just escalated. Related to that are family histories of substance abuse, alcoholism, uh, ways to dull the pain, if not manage it in a creative way. and homelessness, which is probably one of the greatest traumas anybody can experience losing their homes. This is a worldwide phenomenon. There are millions of refugees and displaced people in the world, a horrible tragedy for families in particular. Um, Alameda County, where I'm based, the last time they conducted a, what they call point in time count They figured that there were over 8,000 people experiencing homelessness in this county. Half of them were in the city of Oakland. I see it every day. And many of the women who came into the Oakland Center when it was open were homeless. And the, the goal was really to figure out how can we find a place for them to be safe? And the shelters are all full. Some of them you don't really want to send anybody to because the reports come back that there's been rapes, theft, and not the place where you want to say, go there, you'll be fine. Then finally, formerly incarcerated women coming home, California gives them $200 when they get released. It's called gate money. $200 doesn't get you far. And if you don't have family to help pick you up, you're going to be on the streets. Uh, you're going to be in a shelter. You're not going to get very far in terms of you know buying a new outfit to go on job interviews. It's not going to happen. So all of these traumas show up at a women's center, and we understand that these are the underlying factors that prevent women from moving ahead in their lives. So again, we go back to mental health and the importance of prioritizing their engagement in therapy
0: that will help them move through this. Absolutely. Thank you, Susan. And um, I think that the statistics that you mentioned are quite alarming. All those things are underreported. And as a matter of fact, one of the statistics talk about during the pandemic, 90% of the lost jobs were lost with women. Mm -hmm. Um, Other statistics are 85% of the world population that are homeless are women and children. And I want to turn it over to Daria to talk about domestic violence and how do you approach the issue with your clients, uh, Daria?
2: Yeah, um, you've both said a lot of important things uh, addressing uh, a lot of the risk factors Uh, For domestic violence, homelessness, poverty, uh, substance abuse, uh, lack of work, all of those increase the risk for domestic violence. The estimates are that uh, DV has increased approximately fivefold, say 20%, um, during the pandemic, which has, uh, of course, made it so much uh, more unsafe for women who can't leave the home. Um, I also want to mention the impact on children um, who are witnessing this violence. The domestic violence situation is the one in which children are most likely to be abused as well. So the ramifications are widespread. We're talking about domestic violence, abuse, by any means where an individual is um, exercising power and control over another person. And it can happen to anyone, it can be done by anyone, it has no boundaries, rich, poor, privileged, educated or not, um, we're all susceptible to it. This is a a global problem. Uh, At least 15% of all violent crimes are accounted for by DV. And as you both noted, they're substantially underreported. And you, you Susan, you mentioned um, Alameda County and Oakland, and it's my understanding that um, what that looks like in Oakland is that on a on a typical day in Alameda County, DV hotlines receive about twenty one thousand calls. So if we double that, uh, you get a little closer to reality. And One in five women have been raped by a partner in their lifetime. And half of female victims of homicide are killed by intimate partners. And yet only about a third of those women seek assistance or medical care for their injuries. So that's the United States. And then globally 736 million women, about one in three have experienced domestic violence as well as non-partner sexual violence or both at least once in their life. So that doesn't even take into account the children who are sexually assaulted or or those who are trafficked. So we really can't know the true uh, prevalence of non-partner sexual violence. It's it's bound to be much higher. The factors of stigma and bias also profoundly affect uh, reporting because uh, there is such disdain uh, for women who have been abused. In in some countries, they're um, thrown out of their homes and um, cut off from their families. Back to to COVID, this has all been increased. Treatment, in my view, is uh, most effective when it is trauma-informed. And I want to say that that, you know, we hear that phrase a lot lately. It's not just a hot topic or or a new trend in psychotherapy. This model uh, substantially shifts our perspective on how we treat trauma and each other, as well as how we function in systems. It really switches and shifts the perspective from not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. And in that, we are able to withdraw judgment, provide support and understanding that is fundamental to any treatment.
0: Your work continues to be so obviously needed. What you and Susan have delivered today in terms of the facts, there is definitely a pandemic and uh, domestic violence and mental anguish i just want to turn it over to susan uh, to describe the kinds of counseling that uh, Women's centers international has provided
1: there are a number of ways to come at this one is direct counseling which we do and have provided the other are informational programs Because in many cases, people don't know what they don't know about uh, what they should expect in their lives, what's acceptable in their lives. For example, during the pandemic, there was this huge spike in teen pregnancies in Kenya. Huge spike. They're young girls. Enough said. They don't know that they can say no, that if they're going to have sex, insist on using condoms, but they don't know that. And so they're stuck with these pregnancies. They have no parenting skills. They have no experience navigating the the course ahead with their their partner, their their baby's father. And one of the programs that Baraka has really honed in on is parenting and reproductive health. We had over 200 kids at a recent workshop, both boys and girls, about personal health, parenting, how, how do you manage parenting when you're a kid yourself? All of the programs that we provide at a center are integrated in the sense that your immediate problem may, may be that you don't have um, a job or a livelihood that you can that sustains you. The backstory is that every week your husband beats you and you can't, Get the momentum to go out there and sell yourself because you feel terrible all the time. If you're not looking at the convergence of lack of training in either entrepreneurship or a vocational skill, lack of health information, especially mental health and reproductive health for, for women, lack of protection from violence, we know many of the women in that we have served in Kenya are barely literate. And I think that can be said in many places in the U.S. actually. Women's education it can be stopped because they get pregnant in high school. Their parents in Kenya keep them home to take care of the kids so they can go out and work. Any number of reasons where education is interrupted. You have to look at the whole constellation of issues that young women face, older women face, grandmas becoming moms because the mom is drug addicted or died these are problems that uh, across the board have to be looked at y- you can't take a single approach on this because they're all interrelated all of these issues
0: thank you susan um daria tell us about uh, some of the new understanding uh emerging in the work with women
2: well again i want to um emphasize the importance of a trauma-informed lens. Fundamentally, this approach does not underestimate the impact of violence and trauma in society and the importance of a commitment to develop the knowledge and skills to minimize re-traumatization. In working with women who are traumatized, we keep in mind that this is the individual's best and most resilient attempt to manage to cope with and rise above her experience of trauma. This is so important because we need to recognize too that uh, trauma is cumulative, like the layers of an onion, it compounds and Susan and you both are speaking to uh, the, the multiple experiences and ongoing traumatic events that exist in so many women's lives. So what we're seeing when they come to us is more than likely um, just the tip of the iceberg. Trauma affects whole communities, and then they can become intergenerational and passed on through the family, cultural norms, and of course, institutions. This is especially important when we think about what happens when we work with women um, and people with complex trauma who may even appear unwilling or reluctant to engage and receive our support. Through a trauma-informed lens, we can uh, better understand that this is their way of coping and um, try to support them in a way that acknowledges their experience as uh, having been so damaging. Uh, we can extend our kindness, uh, love and support in a way that they feel embraced and supported. What I know about Women's Centers International, the Oakland Women's Center and um, Baraka, uh, that these programs are the epitome of a trauma-informed response. Um, When a woman walks in the door, uh, she is welcomed with warmth and respect And she is supported in uh, becoming more self-reliant and independent and um, empowered. This is what good services look like for women. So when we're supporting WCI, we are supporting a trauma-informed approach for survivors.
1: Wow, that's great. I want to tell you a story (laughs) that I remember distinctly We had a woman who came in who presented as very shy and withdrawn. She barely said hello. She was coming in for her therapy appointment. And we would always, you know, greet her. Everybody gets offered coffee, tea, snack, whatever. Food is a big deal at women's centers. And she would always miss an appointment if it was a cloudy day. She wouldn't go out on a cloudy day. A few months into this, she would start coming into the office after her appointment and she'd sit around and shoot the breeze with us. And she had this wicked sense of humor, which finally got let out to play. She would tell us stories about what happened at the office or some crazy thing that happened on the street. She was beginning to come out of herself. And I know that, This is the kind of help that's so foundational, it's so necessary to say, first of all, we see you. Second of all, you're a good person. You've had some things happen to you, and we can work with that. We can walk with you to the other side. Maybe you can speak to the story. I'm not sure that people ever recover fully from trauma, but they learn how to work in better ways in their lives to keep their relationships going, keep their work life uh, intact. They know how to cope better. And that may be what recovery is all about.
2: Trauma is experienced sort of on a continuum or there are certain levels of trauma and and everybody experiences trauma differently. My experience of um, a traumatic event it may be extremely different from yours. Um, I was told a story once by a, a, a taxi driver who was uh, robbed while he was at work. And to him, it was really not a big deal. He came out of it okay, it was sort of an adventure. He was not terribly afraid and I don't know, maybe he was in a little bit of denial, but it worked for him. Um, but he recovered, no problem. Another person could never drive again. Ultimately, trauma is evaluated and determined by the person's experience, their perception of it. So it's not what you think and how you think I should be responding to this event. It's what my experience was. We have to remember that we're in this together and that we must provide that support with, with each other. And what I hear you saying so much, Susan, is that you are also providing women with hope. Hope is the belief that your future can be better and that you can be a part of making it that way. And the fact is that every study published about hope, every single one, identifies hope as the single best predictor of well being compared to any other measures of trauma recovery. So, <laughs> recovery is possible, even post traumatic growth is possible. But just like grief, it has its own timeline and its own life we can't necessarily control it, but we can really hold women and walk with them through their experience and provide them with the tools to uh, become more confident and self-assured and teach themselves how to deal with uh, the triggers of trauma, the grief of loss. We can provide them with lots of tools and support to help them cope with that in a more effective, meaningful way.
0: Thank you, uh, Daria. And and Susan, uh, just as one final note, I know that you both have talked about the kinds of services that WCI provides. Do you have any other services that you'd like to add?
1: Well, the big push right now is to reopen Oakland Women's Center, whether it's a virtual form, we can do counseling through Zoom, or a brick and mortar place where, to me, it's the best environment because you then actually congregate and you can share with other women. I, I saw friendships develop at Oakland Women's Center, and these were women who literally lived two blocks from each other. I consider Oakland Women's Center a community asset And I really want the community at this point to step forward and help us get this show on the road because I know from the calls that I still get that women need this. Our social services, shelters, all of that, overwhelmed. You can't have too many services that help women, especially (laughs) women of color in this community.
0: Amen amen to that. We're talking about helping women grow, right? Beyond where they are. And I can honestly tell you that as a board member and being a part of WCI, it has helped me grow in uh, the depth of understanding of how much more work we really have to do. Uh, Yeah. And Daria, you just really hit the nail on the head today, as they say, because we need that mental strength To keep (laughs) us moving, and we need the strength of our sisters
2: to keep
0: us strong. So please uh, take this information and let's take some action. You can donate at www.women'scentersintl.org. And we will begin our second season in August. So Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you very much, Daria. Again, this is Dr. Vivian Smith del Toro. Stay well and stay tuned. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs)